I said there will be some people in this room one day that will have the opportunity to win an Ivy League championship and an NCAA championship. And the looks I got was like, this guy is insane. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and strategy, innovation, all different kinds of things, digital, obviously, media. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back for another strategy edition. Yes, uh, we're, we're, we've been on a roll, Joe. We've had some really fun shows, some fantastic guests, and I think based on the little preview we got on this discussion today, this is going to be just as good um, and just as uh, fun. Um, this is a topic I don't think we've covered in the five years of doing the show. Um, but before we get to our guest, what anything going on in the industry you want to mention? Anything of note this week? Well, there is the thing. On? Yeah, we're doing this on a Friday. And I texted you last night because I learned something. Oh, yes. And yes. followed something, which I had no idea until I talked uh, to one of our friends at Twitch yesterday, that the NFL is actually running two Twitch channels during Thursday night football now with hosts that are not, that you can get a different commentary, which is something that we've talked about for a long time. I watched both of them for a little while last night. They probably had combined about 50,000 viewers wow. at the same time during the okay. second quarter of um, the Seahawks and um, the Cardinals. But it's funny, uh, this friend of ours who, I don't want to say who it was, who is around Twitch said, the NFL has kind of soft launched this as a new way to engage. And it's gone mm -hmm. very well along the lines of what our friend Blake Stuchin is doing with Reddit and and the NFL. So right. um, I was really impressed. It's great that they're doing it. Um, and, uh, someone else I know in the gambling space pointed out to me that this is exactly what a gambling channel is going to look like going forward. Yeah. Um, and they're going to sub-license it, obviously, for, for another. So Joe, how did, how did, I didn't get to watch, how, how did the streamers do? Were they were they entertaining? Were they yeah. good at so it? They're, yeah. they're watching, they're, they're football, well, they're football fans, but, um, and there are two, and I can't remember right now, but there are two prominent. Wasn't one of them Tim Tim the Tap Man? Yeah, Tim the Tap Man was one of them. He's one of the and, biggest guys on Twitch. Yeah. Yeah. So they they are um, well versed in football, and they're literally sitting there watching the live broadcast with the announcers, with Joe Buck and 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 uh, Troy Aikman, and they were figuring out ways to insert themselves into what's going on with their opinion. But they're also, you know, as you know, on Twitch, you've got the stream going on right next to it, and there were thousands of people commenting on what they were saying or asking them questions about what the hell's going on. So wait, so um, they were letting the audio of the show run and they were, they would speak in the, in, yeah. in the down, the they down, speak in the downtime or speak yeah, over okay. what was going on. The other interesting thing was one of the streams had commercials. The other one did not. So, so what they do a commercial breaks. They went to the blank said commercial commercial now on. And then he would talk about whatever he was talking about. But the great thing is, He's engaging in real time with the piece, looking at the stream and engaging in real time with people who are asking him questions, which I thought was yeah. really nice. So. And to be clear, that was specifically on Twitch. That's separate from the Andrea Kramer, Hannah Storm presentation yes. on Amazon. So that was on Twitch. It was the Amazon right. feed on Twitch, which obviously for people who don't know Amazon, Twitch, Amazon is owned by Twitch. Uh, Twitch is owned by Amazon. So, yes. Nice. Uh, all right, well, thanks for alerting me. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody else tests that out because you, you know you know we're going in that direction. Yep. And one other one is I was wandering around last night because there is no NBA or NHL and 
Uh, I don't know why. I, I didn't want to watch CNN. But there was a good NFL game last night. There was a good NFL game. Yeah. Um, so last night, NBC Sportsnet live streamed for the first time the Drone Racing League, which is mm-hmm. virtual. They're not in person. But they did have gambling odds on it, Tom, although you wow. can't gamble yet on DRL, but it was sponsored by DraftKings. Wow. So that's coming. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, and the other big announcement this week was Bally's yeah. uh, Pank, Pank Sinclair Media Group, which is a uh, which is a media company that's hurting right now, $85 million to essentially do a full-scale sponsorship marketing integration into the regional sports networks to build the Bally's brand as yep. a competitive gaming. They're going so far, Joe, I don't know if you saw this detail, all the, the majority of those networks will be rebranded as Bally Sports. Yeah. Which is a really interesting thing. So yeah, the, the crazy thing was that when I think of Bally's, I still think of like health clubs versus gambling, but that's okay. Yeah, as I tweeted, an, another gaming white knight coming to the aid of a of a media damsel in distress. This mm-hmm. seems to be a theme. Yep. And we'll probably continue this way. Anyway, so last week we talked about chess, which was oddly fascinating and fun. And this week we're gonna talk about another really interesting and unusual sport. So Joe, what did we got? Yeah. So, so Tom, we've had a couple of coaches on who, and, and I thought about this before, especially the ones who've been to the pinnacle of their careers um, have kind of been overnight successes, decades in the making, whether that was Nick Nurse or Joe Madden. Um, and we're honored to have a guest today to talk about strategy and what it takes to go from being a rookie coach at the NCA level to winning not one, but multiple NCA championships on the campus. And, and it's interesting at the campus of Columbia, because when you think about the people that we pass on the street or on campus, whenever we are on campus, you never know who they are, but the person we are, you know, if you were walking down and you saw this guy and said, an NCAA championship coach is coming in our direction. I don't think you'd say Michael Offertig is the guy, but he certainly is because what he's done with Columbia fencing from the minute he walked on campus to today uh, is certainly something to be marveled at as a multiple year NCAA champion. So Michael, welcome to the CUSP show. Thank you so much. Welcome, Michael. Great introduction. Wow. Wow. And I would say, Joe, now with his new beard, I, I mean, I might actually think he, he's a championship coach. You know, he's got a look now. More of a chess player, actually, than, than a fencer. But all right. Well. Um, hey, Michael, why don't you kind of take us through, because uh, I don't know how many people will come across a Brooklyn-born, Louisiana-grown uh, NCAA championship uh, fencing coach at an Ivy League school in their lifetime, but that's what we're going to do. So, can you walk us through the kind of unusual journey as to how you got to Morningside Heights? Sure. So, you know, first, how did I even get in fencing, right, in Shreveport, Louisiana? So I was a big sports fan. I played all sports through eighth grade. And ninth grade, there was a magnet school called Catamega High School, new school. You know, my parents wanted me to get to the, the best public school. So I tested. I got in two days before class starts. My mom gets a call and, and they tell your son cannot be in general physical education. My mom's like, why not? Well, conflicts with advanced French. And if you know Louisiana in the South, everybody takes French in Louisiana. So my mom said, you're taking advanced French. Now you have a choice, gymnastics or fencing. So <laughs> I didn't know if gymnastics was cool. I didn't know. If, and 
I was like, I have fencing. I like Star Wars. Let me try that. So that's how I even got into fencing. It was a, it was an accident, right? And then two years later, I qualified to this thing called Junior Olympics. And at the time, you know, I didn't even know if fencing was a real sport because in Louisiana, you're competing against 15 people. I was pretty athletic. So I qualified and I get there and there's a thousand other kids. And I got my butt kicked when I was there. But at that point, I fell in love with the sport. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to be in the top eight. And getting to New York was uh, 1987. The movie Wall Street was the number one movie. I wanted to be Bud Fox or Gordon Gecko, but in a legal, you know, legal way, right? And um, and NYU was in that movie, uh, and so I was like, all right, NYU's the place. I went there, finally made the finals in the Junior Olympics. Uh, started uh, a tech career after attending Stern School of Business, but always remained in the fencing and became the chairman as a volunteer of the New York Athletic Program, which was a program that I was very involved with and fenced for. And then uh, the, the coach, George Katabatovich, retired after 32 years. And everyone's like, Michael, you need to apply. You need to apply. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't do it. But I need to thank my best friend, Wesley McKinney, who's actually our volunteer assistant coach now. And he said, Michael, if you don't apply, you'll be doing Columbia an injustice. I'm like, all right. I applied. And I want to tell you one funny story about the, the interview. So the interview, it's just like the top job. And there was a, a whole um, uh, alumni selection group there in the interview. And they said, so Michael, lay out your plan. I spent 15 minutes just talking about, you know, how recruiting is important, treating people like champions important, you know, different unusual ways on how we're going to do this. And after 15 minutes, the room was really quiet. And then someone from the class of 1959 named Steve Buckman raised his hand, said, Michael, that's a great plan for the you know, NCAA championships. You gave us a four-year plan, how we can be competitive. But what about the Ivy League championships? I didn't even know what the Ivy League Championships was, honestly. And so just out of my head, I'm like, we'll do that in three years. And everyone's like, all right, this is our guy. This is our guy. And as it would come out, you know, three years later, I call it the three touches that uh, changed the program forever. Um, we want to share the Ivy titles three years later. And then in our fourth year, we won, you know, the first of the three NCAA titles that I've been blessed to, you know, be part of um, after 22-year drought. So here we are. Michael, let's go back to your business career for a second. In some of the material you shared with us, there was a picture of you at the NASDAQ, I believe, with some company going public. What Were you a dot-com millionaire or something like that? Like, what was going on? Yeah, so I wish I was a dot-com millionaire, but I was part of a great company called Kintera. And Kintera is a company that really came up with online fundraising with friends asking friends and um, started that company uh, early 2000. And so I was going into places that had walkathons, bikeathons, bowlathons, saying, we're going to help you raise so much money. And the first thing that executive director or development director would say is, our donors aren't online. Right? So that's what we were going up against. And um, a few years later, the company went public. I did have some shares, made a little bit of money, but unfortunately not, you know, the the millions and billions, but it was a great experience. And I would definitely say a lot of what I've learned in my business career, 100% I apply it to what I do in coaching. And, and that's what uh, 
I'd love you to talk a little bit about the points that you make or the, the way you built this team, because people who probably don't know um, about who your fencers are, some of the more unique backgrounds, um, some of the more diverse backgrounds. Um, so, so walk through kind of your strategy, because what you've done is really started to bring a little bit more of analytics and a different thinking to what was obviously a very traditional sport. So, so tell us about that crossover. Sure. So you know, initially when I first uh, arrived, you know, I thought, you know, with the great brand of Columbia, which it does have, and the history of the program that I would be able to get anybody I wanted. Well, then I met emissions and realized that, you know, the SAT scores and the grade point averages was a little bit different than I thought. You know, I'm not sure if I could have ever gotten into Columbia. And then also, you know, everybody I kind of reached out with and said, we are going to be a championship program. Didn't want to be one of those individuals that was going to help the program grow. They wanted to be part of something already. And so one thing I did was the, the, the trend was to go, to, in fencing, you have a, a, a national points ranking. And these national points rankings are decided by a competition where you go through a first round of like these five touch matches. And then you're seeded into a direct elimination round where there's 15 touch matches. And so actually the rankings are all based off of these 15 touch matches. But in college, you're only fencing five touch matches. And so since these top individuals on the top point rankings weren't interested to come, I said, well, it's not necessarily getting the best ranked players. It's getting the right players for the college game. And, you know, I, I give credit to my thoroughbred racing handicapping to kind of come up with this idea because growing up in Louisiana, we're always looking at past history, you know, the class of the horse, who's that trainer, are they on dirt, are they on turf? And so I just kind of moved that to fencing. It was, once again, like kind of an accident, right? And it's kind of like, well, what club are they coming from? You know, and if they're coming from a club that's maybe not so strong, but yet they're winning all these five-touch matches and they're losing these 15-touch matches very, by very little, if they can come to our program with, you know, better training, better coaching, better, we can make them that much better. And so that's the sort of analytical approach, which I spoke about um, in a TED Talk that I did in 2014. And people started calling me, oh, no, it's not money ball. It's money blade, you know. And uh, so that was kind of cool. But once again, like, that was like an accident out of necessity, I would say, is, is how that came. Yeah, and also, like, one of the things that you've talked about is your approach to coaching that's been written up. Um, which includes this really interesting idea of customizing your communication. And I know Joe would probably want to talk about that aspect of it, but it feels like, um, and it's funny, Joe, in, in the aftermath of talking to Nick Nurse and Joe Madden, who are both known as being more philosophical, kind of cerebral coaches that really do have a coaching philosophy that is a little bit more progressive. Michael, it sounds like you're uh, you're continuing our streak, people that actually think about these big issues in terms of communications with these athletes. So talk about your approach with that and how you develop that and how you execute it. Sure. So one of the, you know, when someone asked me, like a recruit says, well, what's your coaching philosophy? I say it's flexible structure with an individualized approach. And they're like, ooh, that sounds kind of interesting, right? Because there's structure to the program, but it's flexible, especially in a sport like fencing, where 
everybody might need something different, right? Everybody might need some. So what's good for, for you, Tom, or for, for you, Joe, might be different what I need. And that's on the physical, that's on the tactical, that's on the technical, maybe nutrition, everything. But it's also on how we speak to each other. And, and I first got light of this. Uh, the goal in uh, the NCAA championships is to qualify 12 fencers to the NCAA championship, six women and six men. That's the max you can qualify to get the maximum amount of points to give yourself a chance at the title. And so in 2015, we qualified 12 individuals, six men, six women. We actually brought uh, Dr. Uh, Brent Walker, our sports psychologist from Columbia, into a room. And I'll never forget, I took the 1993 trophy, the last time we won the NCAA championships. I put it at the end of the table. All 12 of us was there, and I was there. And we were saying how everyone's going to lose a match. Everyone's going to lose a match. How do you want to be spoken to when you lose a match? This was the, the question that Brent Walker put in. And so it went down to two of our freshmen and one of our uh, freshmen, the coach, I'm a very positive guy. I love it when you're like, don't worry about it. Let's move forward. Let's, you know, just, just forget about that. When I move over, tell me a few tactical things and let's go. I was like, cool. The other freshman said, cause I said, keep it real. She says, coach, when you say that, I want to punch you in the face. I was like, what? <laughs> like it's March. Why are you telling me this now? Well, you're the coach. I want to respect you. And that right there, light bulb in my head. So from that moment on, and that year, we actually won the NCAA championship in 2015. But from our very first meetings in 2016, we would get together and say, when you lose a match, how do you want to be spoken to? When you're fencing a match, how do you want to be spoken to? Who do you want to speak to you, right? Because if you don't want me speaking to you, that's cool. We'll talk when we look through film, right? But if you want your, you know, a, another teammate, and when you look at the Columbia fencing team, you will notice that it's mostly teammates speaking to teammate, which is much more efficient because there's only four coaches or six, if you include our volunteer assistant coaches, and there's 30 fencers, right? So by having them working together, it became a much better way so they can hear what they wanted to hear. Wow. Um, hey, um. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other philosophies that you have, observe, analyze, and adjust, um, being one of them? And also, um, tell us a little bit about your fencers. I mean, the ones that you've had in the program, who are they, where are they from, uh, the crazy stories, the ones who want to punch you in the face, as opposed to the ones who want to kind of, you know, I don't know if somebody said, I, you think about it, Tom, someone holding a foil saying, I want to punch you in the face is almost like a double <laughs> if it was an mma team it would be even better but that's okay so yeah tell us about some of those other philosophies michael because they're really interesting and they apply to business almost much more than sports sure so you know just i'll give you my five philosophies and i came up um through this by giving um a class to business executives to try to transfer some of what i've learned in business and in fencing to their lives in business and my first uh philosophy is quality over quantity, you know, and you hear that a lot, but what does that exactly mean? And in the sports world, specifically fencing, you know, you hear people, oh yeah, I train five days a week or I train 20 hours a week. I'm like, well, so what, what are you doing in that five days a week? You know, where are you doing that 20? And so taking that, what we've tried to do, and I hear a lot of other coaches that do it is we're not going to waste any time. 
you know, when we're practicing, we're trying to accomplish something, you know, there's intent to it. So it might be, you have to do in the fencing term, you know, 25 parry reposts during that practice, or we're going to try to accomplish you focusing at the back of the strip on scoring when uh, space is tight or something, you know, so they'll, there'll be actionable actions to accomplish. And so that's what I mean by quality over quantity. It's not how much you do, it's what are you doing, right? Um, with great preparation comes great expectation. And that's one, uh, not only for the coaching staff, you know, it's all about preparing the practices, preparing everything from every logistics going into a competition, but for our fencers, right? It's all about preparation. We're all about, you hear, you know, being uncomfortable or being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. And so we're going to do everything we can. So when the competition comes, it's fun, right? It's fun. We've been here before and you're not thinking about winning or losing, but you're just fencing, which is what we love to do. And then the results will come. And then you mentioned, Joe, observe, analyze, and adjust. And so fencing, I always joke around, it's the hardest sport in the world. And the reason why it's the hardest sport in the world is you go into a tournament, there's 300 people at the end of the day, there's one winner, 299 losers. You know, people can be happy if they get second or eighth or top 32 different things, but also we're always losing points. In college, we go to five points. I mean, how many times do we beat people 5-0? It doesn't happen that often, right? So if we beat someone 5-2, you lost two points. When you get touched, you know, I always say observe, or when you're giving a touch, observe, analyze, and adjust. Sometimes adjusting might be keep doing what's working, right? So we're using touches scored and touches, touches relinquished as information. And when I speak to business individuals, it's like, that's the world in business. We're always observing, analyzing, adjusting. And then we mentioned customize your communication, which I believe, you know, is very important to get things done, right? And then my last one is fencing isn't fair. And, um, you know, you can kind of relate that to life isn't fair, things aren't fair, you know, this pandemic isn't fair, but what are you going to do about it? You know, what can you control, right? Um, you cannot control the fact that there's a pandemic, you know, we'll use today, but what are you going to do about it to make yourself be better? So those are my five philosophies and that I say keeps Columbia fencing on top. And I really stick to those. You know, we have mm -hmm. core values, we have themes every year, we have different things, but those are like my five philosophies that I always try to stick, stick to and I'm always learning every year and adding things to that. Cool. Be before you talk about some of the fencers, um, this is a good segue question or uh, inquiry about that aspect of it. Recruiting for different sports obviously can be very different. And it just occurred to me listening to you that you may be one of the only sports where a recruiting process might include an actual competitive interaction. Like, would that happen? If you brought a prospect to campus, would you say, put on the suit, let's do it? I mean, in football, you're gonna watch them work out. Most other sports, you watch them work out, but I'm sure you still fence and I'm sure you would be able to observe them and their talent by actually um, competing against them. Is that, is that a crazy thing well, or does it happen? Um, well, so that would be the best, well, that'd be a fun idea. Um, that would be against the NCAA rules, unfortunately. However, um, you know- well, who's, gonna, who's gonna know? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's all I need on this broadcast. Coach Offertig trying to get one step up, right? But, it's a little Cobra Kai type of thing. That's what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, um, you know, summer camps or, or camps and clinics are ways that I have found many, um, we'll say, diamond in the roughs, right? You know, by being able to work with someone and see the way they are, even giving private lessons at camps is a way to see. You know, watching them, giving them instructions, seeing how they're um, fencing up close and personal. I mean, statistics and how they're doing in competitions is a great thing. Another thing is watching them at competitions, you know, very similar like other sports, watching them. And even when I first started recruiting, I would video them. And this is when people wouldn't even recognize me. So I wouldn't wear anything Columbia. I'd video them. And then depending, because two of the weapons, there's right of way. So there's a lot of subjectivity to the call who scores who doesn't I mean they follow the rules but there's there's eras that happen in calls and fencing and so how does someone react to that do they flip out right do they yell at the referee or are they like oh, excuse me uh, ma'am um, can you please explain that to me and so I record these type of things and then when they come in to meet with me I show them that tape and I'm like so what happened here oh boy you know so it's like so the, the, there's many different different ways, you know, um, to, to find out the, as much as you can about a recruiting fencing. All right, so talk about some of them. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, I can, I, I know most of your shows are only, you know, 20 minutes to an hour, but I can stay here all day, so just, just cut me off. But what, what I will say is um, there's a group that will say kind of believed in what we were doing at the beginning. And that's the, um, well, when I first walked in, when I didn't have any recruits, my very first meeting, I never forget, I'm a big PowerPoint guy. And I put up a PowerPoint and it said NCAA championships, Ivy League championships. And I said, everybody in this room one day, oh, well, I said, there will be some people in this room one day that will have the opportunity to win an Ivy League championship and an NCAA championship. And the looks I got was like, this guy is insane. You know, and I was really speaking to the freshmen at the time because I knew it was going to take some time. But at, at this moment, the men have been last in the Ivies for two years and we haven't won an NCAA championship in 18 years. Right. And so I'll never forget four years later when those freshmen were seniors. Um, one of our team captains, a guy named Michael Joseph, just hugged me and he goes, oh, my God, coach, I did not believe you when you said that we would be able to do this. And those first few recruiting classes are very interesting. Um, one person I'll talk about just because he's, uh, you know, so close to making the Tokyo Olympics is, is a guy named Jake Hoyle. I say he's one of our best walk-on stories ever at Columbia. So, you know, I, I get hired in June. Uh, recruiting is almost done, you know, for, for that year. I gave out all my spots already. And um, Jake Hoyle comes in September. And, you know, great grades, uh, He's ranked about 20th on the point standings. And, um, and I said, hey, I'm sorry. You know, you look great. I looked at your record. You look perfect. But I just don't have any uh, academic supports is what we call today. Back then, it was recruiting spots. And he says, no, I'll apply early. And, you know, once again, he had great grades and everything. So he got in. But I never forget asking him. And I said, what's your goal? You know, what's your goal? Because I want to be an All-American. I'm like, all right, All-American, top 12. We get 12 people, top 12, we can win NCAA championships. Sounds great. So he comes in freshman year, 
you know, works hard, actually qualified to the NCAs, but my two other recruits actually made it over him. And we went, I think we got eighth or ninth that year. And say sophomore year, he actually qualified, finished 15th. But then his junior year, he wins it. He wins the NCAAs. And that was 2015. And more important, he won 19 out of 23 bouts to help our entire team, you know, win the championship. And then a senior, he wins it again. And so after he graduates, he's like, I think he graduated like a three, seven economics degree, starting to get a lot of job offers. And he comes to my office. He's like, coach, do you think I can make the Olympics? I said, Jake, I'm probably costing you a lot of money right now, but yes, I do think you can. And here we are, you know, four years later, if Tokyo would have happened. I mean, Jake has been ranked now as high as uh, ninth in the world, right? Highest ninth in the world. And so he's number one in the U S right now on his way to Tokyo, you know, so that's, that's a, a great story. Um, my very first commit that I ever committed to was uh, a woman uh, named Margaret Liu. And Margaret, uh, even before she got to college, just say unlike Jake, was winning national championships. I'm talking, you know, senior open national championships. And um, you know, so I was really excited. Wow, you know, I'm, I'm getting a, a top blue chip recruit, right? But she was the very first one. I never let her forget that she was the first one. And she had an amazing career. You know, she um, she helped us win in 2015. Uh, she she tried to make the 2016 Olympics. She was like two spots away from doing that during a year off. And um, you know, amazing career. Just like God, I'm just like I'm thinking about all these different people. Maybe you want to direct me in a in one way or another. I have one. Yes. Who has been the one who's overcome the most? Mm. to be not not and not necessarily be successful as an athlete but just be successful where you've you've been amazed at what this um, man or woman has done sure god there are so many and then when they all listen to this they're going to be like coach why did you not pick me you know and i will say that there have been so many different just say obstacles or things in the way, whether it was um, something fencing related, academically related, relationship related, family related. I won't purposely avoid your question, although I'm doing it right now, right? And, and um, I will say about, you know, a meeting that we had before the 2019 NSA championships. And during that meeting, uh, we were in the lead. The men did very well the first two days and then the woman fenced the next two days. But yet the woman who had like an eight point lead now only had a four point lead going to the final day. And when we walked at this meeting, you would think as if we were losing. And, um, you know, all of us were in one of these conference rooms. And I just started off by telling them a story about what happened in 2015. I think you'll actually love this story because it goes back to some of those first recruits. So we were in the lead and all we hear on this last day is here come the Irish, because Notre Dame is a big, big rivalry. They're great. Uh, we heard we are Penn State. We heard a lot of OSUs. And like, we're in Ohio, so we don't have too many Columbia fencing fans cheering us on, right? So we're hearing all these things. And, one of, and another thing about customizing communication is, do you like to know the score? Or do you not, not like to know the score? And all our women said, do not tell us the, the score you know, during this whole day. But all you hear is Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, this, that. So we get into a huddle before the last round. And I go to Margaret, who I mentioned. 
And Margaret, I think, lost two matches the whole day, which is incredible. But I know she was so critical on herself that if I asked her how did she think she was going to do, she was going to say not so well. So I was like, Margaret, how do you think you're doing right now? And she goes, oh, coach, God, you know, I could do so much better. In my, in my heart, I was like, yes, this is great because she's doing so well. And then I went to Jackie Dobrovich, who was recruited with her, who, once again, she right now, Jackie, is, prob is going to Tokyo as well. You know, that's how good she, she is. And she was having a horrible day because she was going to end up probably like 15 and 8, which is sixth place in the country, right? Oh, God, I just can't take it. And then I started going down and going down and going down and going down and going down. And so I told this story to the group for 2019. Everyone said, oh, I'm doing hard, doing hard. I'm like, well... So here's the thing. I know you don't want to know the score, but we're still in the lead. They're like, what? Still in the lead? Really? Wow. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you about how much, but if you just keep fencing as bad as you're fencing right now, we're going to win. But if you want to fence better, we're going to kill it, right? And so that's the way we started that meeting. And then I said, does anyone want any, you know, anybody have anything to say? This is for the 2019 team. And just the emotions from like the seniors, like, Guys, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to love you. Who cares how you guys just go out there and do your best. Put it all on the table. You know, be the best you can be. Just do that. And, you know, you had 30 people crying in there, right? And the next day, our woman, like, you want to basically win 65% of your bouts. And that's championship performance. Our women were performing at 82%. Like, it was just like breaking records. It was like crazy. Uh, we had the teams conceding to us after the first round. They went, um, they went uh, 20-4. 20-4 in the first round, then 19-5 and five in the next round. Like, it was, like, crazy. So, you know, when you ask, like, different people that overcome, that's what I think our program's about. You know, mm -hmm. now, today, people come in great. They come in you know, champions already. And I say, hey, you're at Columbia, you're already a champion. You're at Barnard, you're already a champion, you know? But they come in as champions and then they do more. And a lot of people, they find themselves through it. Like fencing is kind of like uh, a tool, but then they find something within their life through fencing, through the team. So related to that, Michael, is there such a thing as a, a fencing aptitude? We asked this of Robert Hess last time about chess. Like, can you spot certain innate skills or aptitudes with younger people that you that you see that just kind of have it and the car and, and the add-on question is what physical attributes are important if any specifically I know you made a joke in your TED talk about when you were five seven and all the best fencers were over six feet mm -hmm. so it, it would seem to me not knowing fencing that being tall and having a long reach, as they say in the NBA these days, the word length, like having length would be a huge advantage over being short and not having length. Is that true? Yes. Um, so I will say height, arm span, you know, similar to basketball, uh, will definitely not hurt you, right? Um, but what will you do with that extra height? And what will you do with that extra what do we call it? Arm span? What, what do they call them? Basketball? Wingspan? Wingspan, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do with it? So I've seen many tall fencers that weren't good because they fenced short, right? They didn't take advantage of the gift that God gave them and, uh, and utilized it. So I'm always about people can always be great, 
But if you take someone six, seven versus someone like myself, five, seven, right? It's almost you're starting with a little head start. So height is fantastic. I feel, and I love the fencers that are athletic, meaning that they played multiple sports, mm-hmm. right? That's good for agility, balance, different things like that. I'm not discounting those who fence most of their life, but I just feel the ones that played other sports is very good. Um, also, I would say those who, I mean, and you hear this a lot, they love it, right? They love it. And they're willing to do anything to be the best they can be. And you, you hear this, the, this saying a lot, it's like, everybody wants to be a champion. Everybody wants to, to be good. But what are you willing to do to be that good? Uh, hand-eye coordination is, um, is something uh, that there aren't too many ways to measure it. Like there's no combine or anything like that for fencing. But in their actions, you can be like, oh, wow, they have a really strong hand. Or they have some, a really good lunge, really good fast lunge you know, to, to gain attack. So there are different things. And then what I find is a lot of the individuals that I recruit, they'll do something that's so unorthodox. It's almost like you can't teach it. It's just something natural. And I can look back at so many of our fencers that they'll have a move or two that it scores, but it's ugly. You know, it's just, it's just ugly, but yet it scores. And I don't care. If, if it was ice skating where we get judged on our form or anything like that, then it would matter. But it doesn't matter. As long as that point hits the person, that's all that matters. Cool. Um, so two questions um, along those lines. One is we are here during a pandemic when there is no sports on campus at Columbia. So what are your athletes doing now to stay fresh? How are you dealing with that? And then the other thing is a business question, which Tom and I asked before we came on, but NIL name, image, and likeness is becoming um, more and more of quote a thing in the, in the coming years. And you have a unique POV as to how you think fencers can take advantage of that almost as much as, you know, a quarterback at, you know, one of the major universities. So those two things, what are you doing now? And then tell, tell us a little bit about the future with NIL. Right. So I would say when we first had the announcement way back in March, getting through to the summer, we all thought like many people that, you know, this is going to be over in a few months and let's just hold tight. Let's stick together and let's get ready for the fall and then when the announcement for the fall came we're like all right it's okay our theme is going to be connectivity and growth and i kept saying it and i still do we're going to stay connected we're going to grow together during this time because when we do come back we're going to make a great story on how we won the 2021 NCAA championship and that was the message so i would say during the fall we worked on character skills, you know, like um, here, I'll, I'll show you mine right here, right? Mine was honest, unselfish, motivated, resilient. And I just kind of put happy on the bottom of kind of like what, what my goal is. And so everybody picked out some, some, um, some of their character skills and they hung them up. And how can I become better here? And we'd break out in the breakout groups. I became an expert on Zoom and we'd have one meeting every week. And I would, you know, it's, so I'm like searching through all different things and I'd find a video, you know, a video. And then we discussed that video. That video could be, um, if you're familiar with Team Hoyt, 
the father and son who does the Ironman triathlons, you know, kind of like uh, never giving up, right? And, and we just talk about these things. And it was fun until now, I would say. You know, it was fun until now when we just got the word that all sports are canceled for this year. And I, we literally, I had a, a meeting an hour before we, we got on together. And we're talking, what does it look like for the spring? You know, what are our goals? What are we looking to do? I feel so bad for the seniors because their fencing is over. For everyone else, they know that, well, there is that hope of next year that what does it look like for the 2022 NCAA championships and IU championships? So amazingly, and this is why I recruit and the individuals are on our team, they're working out at their clubs. You know, they're staying in shape. Um, they're getting through this online learning. Uh, with the first years, you know, I told them um, during one of our first meetings is I'm going to walk with you guys in four years. And they're looking at me once again, like I'm kind of crazy. And I told them that I got into the, you know, sports management program at Columbia, you know, and, and I said, yeah, I'm walking with you. And they're like, oh, so cool, coach. And I'm like, now I understand. I understand the workload. And I'm only taking one class a semester, right? So we're just trying ways to stay connected um, and grow together. And it's, it, it is hard. It's hard when you're dealing with people or working with people that all they want to do is the thing that they love. And they're still kind of doing it. But, you know, you'll interview me in 2022 to kind of see how that all worked out for, for the next group. Um, you mentioned name, um, image, and likeness. And um, I think that is going to be a game changer for Olympic sports. And, uh, you know, what, what most, what you hear about is the football and the basketball, the high revenue money-making potential sports where some people can make some serious money. But for a fencer to make $500 a month for even, you know, $250 a month, that's a game changer because right now they're making nothing. I mean, we're fortunate enough in our program that we have some very generous donors that help donate to our program to help our fencers that want to make world teams and Olympic teams to travel. But what if a fencer can go to, you know, a bank, um, a financial institution type of company, um, uh, a small name brand to say, hey, I need about $10,000 to make a world team. Right now I'm, I'm ranked fifth in the country and you can pay for all my travel expenses. Wow, game changer. So, um, I'm really excited. I also feel that there can be some great team deals that can be worked on with a program like ours, that it's a championship type of program. You know, some of the things that I'm interested in is, number one, what is the NCAA gonna, gonna say about, well, right now Columbia's a Nike shop, right? Columbia's a Nike shop. If FILA comes to me and says, hey, we wanna sponsor your team, we're probably not gonna be able to do it, right? What are the, what are the Ivy League rules gonna be what are the institutional rules going to be? So as soon as we find that all out, I'm going to prepare everything to start pitching 2021. I'm going to be ready because this is like a dream come true for a team like us, for fencers. Michael, how, did the, how do your uh, athletes feel about it? Have you discussed NIL with them? What's coming? Um, so we haven't really discussed it. However, we always had conversations of, this is unfair. You know, why can't I have a company sponsor me to give me, um, you know, money, right? Um, it, some of our athletes did get 
money from the United States Olympic Committee or United States Fencing Association, some a lot of money, but that all had to be for necessary expenses, you know, travel expenses, right? Th things like that. So while we haven't had any conversations about it, it, it's always been on our mind of why couldn't it happen? And now it is. And so I don't know if like the first year sophomores, you know, if, if they realize what's coming and I'm not getting them too excited until we start finding out the rules and kind of what we're able to do and then kind of move forward that way. Can you talk, um, switching gears a little bit, if you don't mind, I'm really curious about this aspect of the business of your, of your world, of the growth um, and uh, kind of popularity of technology in the sport. So can you, first of all, just explain for the uninitiated, which is probably most listeners, how that works with being wired up to the system for the touches and stuff like that. Can you explain the technology simply behind the scenes? Sure. Sure. Uh, amazingly, and what I always do, because I actually teach every fall uh, physical education class for any student at Columbia, any undergrad. And so what I, before we um, hook up and fence electronically, which I'll get into, I show them how they used to do it back in the day with four judges on each side. While, why do we wear a white outfit? Because there was uh, a tip that would be red. And so you'd call halt after an action and actually ask the judges, did you see them hit here? And then and they're all kind of looking around. They're like, what do you mean did I see it? It went so fast. I don't know. And I'm like, that's how things were decided. You think there was any, like, you know, let's talk about political, right? You know, you have someone from, you know, Russia, Cuba, you know, China, and South America, right? All judges, you know, like, what type of collusions are happening? You know, what type of, you know, so there's a lot of cheating going on back in the day. So the electronic means of keeping score helped that a lot, definitely helped it a lot. And so the way it works is all the weapons, they have like a socket that you connect a, a body cord to and it runs down your arm and then it runs down uh, to your hip and then you connect it to a reel. And so if you're looking at fencing, you see them attached to a reel. And when you're fencing, you don't even feel that reel. And that reel is connected to a scoring machine. And in foil and FA, when the point is pushed in, which is only 750 grams of pressure, a light goes off. In saber, you can also touch with the side and you're wearing another metallic vest, which is called a lame. So when you touch the lame, a light goes off. And so ultimately when you touch somebody, a light goes off. Epe is the easiest because Epe, if both lights go off at the same time, you both get a touch. And like within one twenty-fifth of a second, if not, it locks out. And that's just on, and that's just for the torso? So in Epe, it's the full body. Full body is a target. That was actually the weapon that I fence. So anywhere in your body, your foot, your head, your hand. And saber is the waist up. So it includes the head, arm, and you can hit with the side of the blade. Foil, it's just the torso. So you were probably thinking of the torso, uh, of, the, of the foil, right? Now, there is wireless. Wireless has been around now for probably, I'd say, about 15 years. And that's mostly used at the Olympic Games and World Championships. It's more of an expense thing. But now there are clubs that part of your membership, you pay to get the wireless box. And so there's some clubs fencing completely wireless. That's something new within the past two or three years. When you think about, you know, you hear about how COVID is speeding up innovation and technology, that might be something for fencing. 
who's going to want to be touching all these reels now and hooking up when you can just have your wireless box and just kind of turn it on? That might be one way of speeding up the innovation of, of that right there. And probably one of the best things that happened for our sport was video replay. And that happened about 10 years ago. It only happened, um, I guess, five years ago for the NCAA and three years ago for the Ivy League championship. But to be able, just like in football, to throw a flag, you know, in fencing, you get one video replay. And that is a complete game changer to, you know, have the official go back to review the call. Cool. Um, I guess um, before we wrap it up, I don't know if Tom, if you have any, any last questions, but um, uh, there's two questions we always ask uh, our guests. How do you stay up to date on everything that's going on business-wise as well as, as your personal business? And then, you know, you talk to a lot of recruits, you're, you're now, in, and we kind of dropped the ball on that, but you're now a student in our program. Um, what advice do you give to people you know, when your seniors go out or when people are looking for their first jobs in general or people come to you for a, a game changer. So um, mm -hmm. how do you stay constant? And then what is it that you, um, you know, what do you tell people? What's the advice you give people? Sure. So I'm always trying to learn from other individuals that have either had success or maybe not had success. And um, I always try to read a biography, and, and most of the time it's sports, but or just of anyone just to kind of learn. And uh, from the beginning of my coaching career, the very first books I picked up was about John Wooden. You know, it's like, wow, one day I want to win, what, 12 NCAA championships. I need to read and see what this guy did, you know. And, you know, from football coaches to basketball coaches to squash coaches to you know, presidents. To, so I really enjoy reading, you know, so that's one way. Um, I will say that the secret of um, sports business journal, wow, and that, I'll credit that to the, um, you know, the sports management program. I didn't even know that that existed. That is amazing. The amount of information, I feel like, you know, it's like the stock market of sports information, just coming in and reading everything. So in like 15 minutes, I'll know, about name image likeness, I'll know about uh, a new esports game, and so and that really kind of gets my mind thinking. So um, that's something that I took advantage of being a student here, of getting the discount, right? And I love it. So so that that's awesome. And and then just just general, um, what I say is whatever Amazon or my Kindle recommends. So based off of all my purchases before, they normally come up with some cool new book. Like I'm. I forget one book came up called Choke, you know, about how to perform when it matters. And as it came out, it was Sion Belloc, the Barnard's president uh, book. And I got this book seven, eight years ago before she was even president. And I read it. So it's like, there's some really cool books that come out based off of what you read. And so that part of the big brother, I really like, because it's like, they kind of know what I would be interested in. So that's kind of how I keep up with things. Um, my recommendations to my seniors, which is really what I tell them from the time they, they come in is, and I always ask them, I'm like, what's your dream? You know, what's the dream job? So, oh yeah, I want to do that. But I'm like, no, but what's the dream? Now you might not get it right away, but go for the dream. And I always tell them like my dream was to work on wall street and my dream was to be an Olympian. Never, you know, 
I technically didn't work on Wall Street as a stockbroker, what I thought I was going to do. And I never made the Olympics as an athlete. But I made the Olympics as a coach, right? I'm who would ever thought I would coach fencing? I mean, that that was a dream. All I wanted to do was was fence. And so I was doing all these other jobs so I can fence. So I'm like, go for your dream. That's the main thing I say. Go for your dream. And you know, you gotta work for it. You gotta work hard. And a lot of times I forget the grind that I did, you know, but when I look back at you know, some notes, or I look back at emails, because I keep everything just to remind myself. And I look back at uh, three years ago, different training plans that we did. And, and I always take some time to look back. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow, that's how we got that idea. Or I did this. Oh, wow. I really wasted about three weeks. But did I waste my time? Maybe I got nothing accomplished, but a great idea came out of that three weeks. So, you know, to always remind yourself how you got there, that there's nothing easy and you hear this a lot. The journey is the most exciting part, right? And even though I'm at, just say, the dream job, my journey is every day. And that's so cool. My journey is every day. It's like, oh, I want to be a head coach. Yeah, great. Then what? Right? So that's what I would say. Cool. That's great. Thank you, many, Michael. That's fantastic. Many, uh, any parting thoughts? No, I'll just ask a, a really quick follow-up, just to, uh, and you can give a quick answer. And that is talked about the value of hard work. I'm just really curious about this. For the two athletes, the two alumni that are that are uh, preparing for Tokyo, how many hours a day do they put in? Mm -hmm. I would say that they put in about you know three to four hours a day of quality practice. And that could be a combination from physical, to video, to stretching, to rehab, to mental, to bouting. And it's changed around, you know, every day. But, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes maybe more, right? And that's an interesting thing, you know, that you mentioned it. So like I was thinking about both Jackie and Jake, right? And then even one of our most recent uh, graduates, Iman Blow, you know, they all do it in their own way. And maybe for one of them, it might be, you know, two hours a day and that gets them to the gold medal and someone else, it might be six. And so um, Coach K said it in an interview before, and he said, basically, you know, we're all running a race, but we each do it at our own pace. And, you know, it doesn't matter, um, you know, when you achieve your, your dream or how you achieve it. It's just, you have to do what's best for you, right? So, so yeah, so it varies, but once again, I go to it's, it, it's not easy. Yeah, sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Now, Thank you, you said, um, you know, parting thoughts, I would say that you know, I really love learning. And, you know, I feel that's probably one of the things that has helped me become, you know, the best I can be. I'm always learning all the time from our other coaches, uh, coaches from other leagues, coaches from other sports. I'm learning from our athletes. And now, you know, I can really say that, you know, being part of the sports management program, even though I'm just taking one course right now, you know, the foundations um, with, um, it's opening my eyes to so many different things, you know, and, and, and I'm really excited about it. 
I'm not just saying that to be nice to you guys. I mean, it, 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 it really is a, a, a hidden, uh, you know, resource for me. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, the next four years to using that to make me, you know, a better coach, right? Our master plan was just to we spend an hour talking about fencing to get you to say those last few sentences. So we right. got what we need now. Yeah. So I think we can wrap. <laughs> hey, um, Michael, before we let you go, how do people follow uh, Columbia Fencing and you? Sure. Um, ooh, I should have been prepared for this. See, this is why I needed to, to take those, those courses. You go to go, uh, GoColumbiaLions.com. In there, we actually have our Columbia Fencing page. Um, to follow me, just Google Michael Offerstu, right? And um, with regards to uh, the, the tags, we got uh, at CU Lions Fencing. That's our Instagram and uh, our Twitter as well. Because there's a lot of really good stuff in there that I would argue would apply uh, well to lots of listeners who are either in school or working in business. There's, there's really good material. Uh, Michael, it sounds like you're, you're setting yourself up to write a book someday. Uh, so we'll look forward to seeing you uh, as a published author sometime to capture all the stuff. Yes, and, and the pandemic, I will say, has pushed that along, pushed a lot of different things along, um, not because I'm less busy, but, but because I'm not traveling, right? Mm -hmm. And with the, the, the no travelings enabled me to help push together a book as well as this analytics project that I've come up with called Fencing Metrics. Uh, you know, it's another website of, you know, taking away the... Uh, the noise and just providing the signal of actually touch. So there's a lot of different things I'm working on, but yes, the book will be out within the next year is the goal. By, by the way, before we give our Sarah final goodbye, where do you guys play on campus? Where are your matches? Yes. So we practice at Dodge. That's where the fencing room is. And whenever we have home matches, we're actually in the blue gym at Dodge. And it's a great time because you can watch from the track where you kind of run around. You can watch down the track. It's a great view. Um, as I joke around, you know, every seat's a great seat for fencing. Um, and we get a couple hundred people there. You know, like all of our uh, fencers get their friends to come. They come out with the signs and everything. So, cool. and, um, you know, we win. So it's fun. You know, you can kind of cheer, cheer for us. And it, it's a good time. And, and for anybody who hasn't been on campus, the Blue Gym is legendary at Columbia. I mean, yes. basketball success was forged in the Blue Gym. So yeah. um, anyway. Well, Joe, Joe, that's a 2021 road trip for the podcast and, and the program. we got to come support the fencing team. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. We'll, we'll get you a VIP seat right up front. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to be able to try on the uniform at some point. Hope, yeah. hopefully. Well, we can do that, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, once again, uh, our guest on the CUSP show this week has been Michael Offerted, the NCAA champion, coach of Columbia fencing, but has gone on to do so many more things other than just what he does with his athletes in terms of leadership and, and strategy and now analytics. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to continuing to learn more and continue to put more towards this. But once again, uh, for the cusp show for co my co-host Tom Richardson, I'm Joe Favorito. Uh, thanks for joining us again and we'll see you down the road. Well, that was really fun.